Hi, everyone. I'm Mel Butcher. And I'm Michelle Redfern. And we're behind the Lead to Soar podcast. We've got a couple really fun things to share with you. And the first thing we want to share is our colleague, Susan Colantuno. She started a podcast called Be Business Savvy. Be Business Savvy. We highly recommend it. And it's a short form podcast where you hear directly from Susan. It's like having a friendly mentor in your ear. So check her out at BeBusinessSavvy.com. Over to you, Michelle. Thanks, Mel. Well, two exciting things from me, along with Be Business Savvy. Number one, The Leadership Compass. My very first book is due for release on March 26, 2024. You can find out more about The Leadership Compass, what it's all about. Of course, it'll be your ultimate guide if you're an ambitious woman leader. You can find more about that at michelleredfern.com. And hand in hand with the Leadership Compass book is the Leadership Compass boot camps. I'm going to do one boot camp a quarter for 2024 for just six women at a time. And you'll be working through in three weeks. So, yes, it's short, sharp, and high impact. All of the elements from the Leadership Compass and my 40 years of executive experience. So, you'll cover BQ, EQ, and SQ, and you will be positioned to have a career that soars. Again, you can find out about the boot camps at michelleredfern.com, leadtosoar.com, or if you can't find any of that, just drop us a line and we'll point you in the right direction. You're listening to Lead to Soar, bringing women the best career advice and mentorship from around the world. Lead to Soar is a production of a career that soars. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. The Lead to Soar podcast is recorded in many places across the world. In Australia, it's recorded on the lands of the Wadawurrung, Wurundjeri and Boon people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present, for they hold the memories, the traditions, the cultures and the hopes of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples across the nation. We also pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. Hey, Michelle, it's so nice to be with you on another episode of Lead to Soar. Thank you, Mel. Good to be with you too. And well, as always, you know, my standard thing, oh, these are two of my favourite subjects. I think I must have the world's longest list of favourite subjects. So there you go. Well, this is this one is a bit of a tricky topic for people who are dealing with it. We're talking about the brilliant jerk today. So let's dive right in. What's a brilliant jerk? Well, first of all, thanks, Mel. And first of all, I want to give credit to the right person for this terminology, the, the brilliant jerk, uh, Faye Calderone. And we've talked about it on one of our lives. Faye Calderone is a, a partner in one of the law firms here in Australia. And I was on a panel with her a few years ago now, and she talked about the brilliant jerk. So it's her terminology. So I want to, number one, pay respect to this this woman who's taught me, originally taught me about the brilliant jerk. So the brilliant jerk is, it's that person in your organisation who is, in some respects, a bit of a rock star and Harvard Business Review talk about toxic rock stars. They're, they're a person who can get some results and often they're around sales or customers or something. They, they get one aspect of the scorecard, the balance scorecard. They get one aspect of their deliverables really right, but they, gee whiz, they, they get a lot wrong. And unfortunately, the stuff that they get wrong is around people and behaviours and culture but what makes it really hard and what makes them the brilliant jerk is that they do not lose their position. They do not 
get counselled or coached. They don't get exposed to performance management practices because the organisation goes, hey, this person's delivering on X, we'll just put up with the rest of the shit that they deliver. So that's the brilliant jerk in in my very colloquial language. And I have to imagine anyone hearing this has seen this or experienced someone like this at some point in their career, somebody who doesn't get in trouble, even though they're causing lots of negativity at work. So let's uh, get a little more granular here. How does the behavior of a brilliant jerk manifest? What can it look like? It's interesting. I've got a couple of examples of brilliant jerks at the very top of the company as a CEO. And there's one particular CEO who was a brilliant jerk here in one of our big organisations in Australia. And I'm not going to name him because I reckon he'd probably slap a some kind of lawsuit on me. But this guy was the typical CEO brilliant jerk. He was brought in to transform the organisation, but he was the sort of person who said, you're either you do it my way or it's the highway. You're on my bus or you're off the bus. You're either with me or against me. And was so hell bent on transforming the organization in one aspect through a, a technology transformation that he failed his stakeholders in every respect, unless you were part of that inner sanctum, that crew that were part of his, you know, his crew. And when I say stakeholders, the people in the organisation, yes, they were hugely important and they knew. uh, So they worked in in an environment of fear and intimidation. But he also pissed off the government and he pissed off the regulators. So this this person absolutely delivered a technology transformation for this organisation, which helped a couple of other things. But was gone from the organisation in record time, only to be, to be replaced by someone who restored value and especially shareholder value after that. Gee, I wish I could name it, but because uh, it's such a great example of what not to do and what to do. But so this is a brilliant jerk at the at the corporate level. So this person, yes, delivered a technology transformation, but annoyed and pissed off everyone around him so much and for a long while wasn't dealt with by the board and it took the regulator and I I think frankly pressure from the press for this person's behaviours to be examined and then them to be removed. But it was a pretty extreme example of corporate brilliant jerkism. So that's that's one example, Mel. But at a interpersonal level, so again I had a CEO that I reported to and his brilliant jerk behaviour, which was well known, was he was sexist and known for having extraordinarily inappropriate relationships in the workplace over a long course of time. He was a gaslighter, but I didn't actually know what that was in those times. And I used to say, I remember going into him once and saying, hey, person, you know, trying to establish rapport, trying to work out as a boss what he needed from me. He said, I'm really trying to get to know you. How do I get to know you? How do I get to know what you, know what you need and how I can operate best? He said, I don't let anyone know me. He said, I'll keep you guessing. Um, he said, because when you're guessing, you're on your toes. And I said, but that's not the way I work. And I'd really, you know, this is actually really important to me. We've got some big outcomes to deliver. And he said, just stop trying because I'm going to keep you guessing. And I went, wow. And it was one of the most grueling and horrible periods of my professional life working for this person because he would make decisions about my patch and not involve me. There would be conversations with his inner sanctum that I wasn't a part of. And then I would hear the gossip and the thing. And frankly, he was a bully. 
he was an absolute bully because I was scared and intimidated pretty much day in, day out by this person. And so for those of you listening who are thinking, mm, crumbs, what is it? You know, am I, is there a brilliant jerk in my workplace? It could be a colleague, a peer, a boss, whatever, but there's someone who, they are someone who uh, is probably getting the sales or, and I don't want to cast aspersions on salespeople because guess what, I am one too, but getting the sales or has a good relationship with one customer who's influential, but they're an absolute nightmare to be around and the boss won't do anything about it or the boss's boss. I'll add to that in the space that I work in, it doesn't necessarily have to be connected to something like sales or a client. It could also be someone who has cast themselves as having special technical expertise. Or nepotism. They've got a great relationship with a powerful person. And that powerful person, so they walk under this umbrella of, you know, it's it's a little bit like the Harry Potter invisibility cloak. They have the invisibility cloak on all the time and it's like they can't see their own behaviours. And more importantly, others can, but they don't do anything about it um, because they're under the protection of this, this powerful person, real or perceived. What are typical reasons that leaders don't address the brilliant jerk? Fear and lack of skills. There so few humans are hardwired for conflict, uh, to enjoy conflict or seek out conflict, Mel. And whether you're dealing with a brilliant jerk or someone who needs a performance lift or coaching, giving people constructive feedback to help them lift their performance is, I would say, it's the number one thing that I talk, have talked to team leaders and supervisors, middle managers and senior managers about over the course of my career. It's, I would say, early in my management career, it would have been the number one thing that I was not good at doing as a priority, but I had to get better. So we, we're fearful of having a confrontational or a courageous conversation. So the brilliant jerk, because of their uh, perhaps larger-than-life personality, perhaps their perceived power in the organisation, perhaps because the manager just is fearful of having these courageous or, or you know, coaching performance uplift conversations, they avoid it. Now, that probably means that everyone else is not is also not having coaching conversations and benefiting from the, you know, this person sharing their wisdom. So that's number one. But the second the second part is the skills. They just do not have the skills to, to deal with it. And those skills include knowledge about what the organization's tolerance is and processes are for managing poor behaviors. Then the second part is so the skill a skill gap, uh, sorry, a knowledge gap, beg your pardon. And then the second part is that skill gap. How do I so I'm I'm okay to have a courageous conversation but I need the skills to do this really well so that this person can actually turn around their behavior, turn around their performance. And then I've got to have the skills to monitor that and make sure it's sustainable. So fear and a skills gap. Let's talk about consequences. What are the consequences to an organization uh, for not dealing with a brilliant jerk or perhaps even promoting them? Uh, and, and we see that happen because of you know this person achieving one result or has this one one dimensional version of success or that as I said that very very influential sponsorship so what are the consequences I I saw this really 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 cool tweet well cool but disturbing tweet yesterday from a terrific person I follow on on Twitter here it is quoting white 
Al. So she's at white underscore Owly, O-W-L-Y. Here's her, here's her tweet. Most go quietly when they've experienced workplace bullying and abuse. They do so because they are left a shadow of their former selves and haven't the energy to take on the powerful. The you'll never work in this industry again threat is very real. My response to her was, I couldn't agree more. It feels like every week I have a conversation with a person, mostly or most often women, who are in shitty workplaces with shitty leadership, with shitty managers who range from not giving a fat rat's ass about people through to outright workplace psychopaths. So the consequences are we leave. Now, we might physically leave, so we might resign and go off to somewhere else and take our skills, our experience, our networks and our potential. Or we might leave but still be there. So we have checked out. And in terms of achieving and sustaining extraordinary outcomes, whatever, I'm going to collect my paycheck every week, fortnight, month. I'm going to do the absolute bare minimum. But if you think I'm going to be curious and innovative and contribute to achieving and sustaining extraordinary outcomes for this organisation, does not give a fat rat's ass about me and does not deal with these people, guess what? You're going to get minimum from me as well. So they're going to leave physically or leave emotionally. So the performance of the organization is going to suffer on multiple sort of levels. The the actual business metrics, employee engagement, employee satisfaction, all those types of things. And, and here's what else is going to happen. At some point, you can end up having a lawsuit. So for those of you risk management professionals, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about here. When we do our risk uh, risk matrix at board and CEO and executive level, we always have one for people. Now, in that risk and opportunity register, how many of you are looking and going, what's the risk of the brilliant jerk? I bet you almost zero. But the brilliant jerk in terms of your risk register will be, this is why we have code of conduct policies and and I hope training and I hope regular agenda items talking about it. This is why we have workplace relations, lawyers and compliance training and and all sorts of stuff. This is why we have values and behaviours and hopefully training and communication about it all the time. And this is why we have HR professionals to help us manage when someone doesn't adhere to this. But the reality is, unless the organisation is absolutely identifying the risks associated with the brilliant jerk, and I'm going to talk about women, all women, and I want to particularly shout out here to women of colour, transgender women, uh, non-binary folk, those people who are even more marginalised than a white woman like like I am, like me is. One of the, We are becoming more and more informed. There are more and more resources, not enough, but more and more resources for those people to tap into, including legal advice, and you will get a lawsuit. You will, one of those people one day will go enough of this shit, and it is you are you've created an unsafe work environment, and I don't want to leave. I want you to be better, and the only way you're going to pay attention is through a lawsuit. So those are the consequences from the mildly irritating through to the holy shit. For those of you listening who are in positions of power and influence in organisations, you might be on the board, you might be in the C-suite, or, or so on and so forth. I'll ask you a, a question that I asked the board of an Australian stock exchange listed organisation a couple of years ago. Imagine this, tomorrow morning, you're in your workplace, the chair of the board and the CEO together, and someone comes in and they say, excuse me, chair, excuse me, CEO, every major newslet, a news outlet is on our doorstep, the front doorstep. They want, they want you to do a press conference about the fact that a whistleblower 
has just gone public with allegations about workplace bullying, sexism, harassment, assault, you know, insert whichever part of the brilliant jerk behaviour you want to hear. They want your comment on that. Now, CEO and chair, how are you going to respond? Yes, I know you're going to get your corporate affairs folk and your legal folk to give you advice, but how are you going to respond to the fact that someone has felt so unsafe and has been so bullied and so marginalised in your workplace that they've got, they felt they've got no other option but to whistleblow and then go to the press about it because perhaps they perceive you've done nothing about it. That's a very real scenario. We've had a number of quite high profile cases here in Australia and certainly there have been in America. And bottom line is there are there have been a lot of cases where this has happened and it has started at, at the start. The start is when a person's very poor behaviour has not been managed from the outset. Those are the consequences. What else do leaders need to be asking themselves? Well, what do we want work to look like, sound like and feel like for every human? How would I feel... If one of my nearest and dearest people in my life came into my workplace and they were treated not so well, how would I feel? Or picture a person, particularly a woman who is near and dear to you, someone that you love, someone who's who may be vulnerable. Imagine her going into your workplace. People don't know that she's your loved one. Are you confident that she will be treated with respect to be valued and that she feels safe by every person? Now think about that brilliant jerk in your workplace. Would you have that brilliant jerk at your mother's dining room table? Would you let that brilliant jerk work with a group of people that you really valued, unsupervised, unchecked? You know, these are the questions we've got to ask. We've actually got to feel stuff. We've got to feel what it must be like. And if you can't answer emphatically, positively, yes, or I'm you know confident about those questions, I want you to go and think about your workplace, whether you've got brilliant jerkism as a culture or whether you've got one or two brilliant jerks. I want leaders to work out what they must do now to deal with it. Do you have a skills gap? Close it. Work out what it is and close it. Ask for help. And don't be so ego driven that you can't acknowledge to whether it's your HR business partner, whether you have a coach in the organization, whether you have an external coach or a mentor to say, I've got this person that I really need to deal with and I'm struggling to know how to do it. Please ask for help to do it. So that's someone, if you've got a skills gap, get the right knowledge, tools and equipment. And if it's a confidence gap about dealing with it, same deal, ask for help, role play. You know, I I can remember many, my my beautiful wife, Rhonda, she has been through so many role plays with me because I've got to have a conversation tomorrow. I am going to have it. I want to do it really well, but I'm feeling nervous about it. Let's role play it. And I've said to it, be an asshole, come back at me with every possible, you know, uh, every possible scenario. So practice, practice, practice having these conversations. I know this sounds really tactical, Mel, but you know, Susan says, Susan Colantino, leadership is about discipline practice. Discipline practice means we practice every every scenario. You know, leadership is not just about being the big person up the front when all is smooth sailing. Leadership is also about making sure that we deal with the not so nice stuff and the shitty stuff. And we have to do the hard stuff and have the hard conversations. And if you can't, if you feel you're not ready to do that, get help. I want you to get help. I want to get to a few more granular things that leaders can do. So, you know, suppose we've got listeners that are leading, they realize that they've got a brilliant jerk on their hands. What do they need to do? So, 
I think what one of the things is the in the moment stuff as well, Mel. So, so I've been talking quite specifically about having a a formal performance conversation. So, yeah, let's move into the the day to day run of the mill. So, talk about it every team meeting. Okay, folks, what do we want this place to look like, sound like, feel like for everyone? And let's get a list of the stuff that we do do. What does good look like? So as, as a team, and for those of you going, oh, you know, I'm not in charge of the organisation, you have a team of peers. None of you work on your own. You are, you, you are unlikely, I mean, you are likely to be in a team. So raise you know, say, what do we want it to look like, sound like, feel like? And particularly as a team leader, set the expectation that we're going to talk about this stuff on a regular basis as a group of humans together. Um, learn to listen. And leaders, we often listen to act or listen to speak, <laughs> to speak next. You know, listening is not waiting to speak. Listening to learn, be curious have I set up a culture or and an operating cadence as a leader where I spend time listening to people? We've got a couple of ways of doing that. So we've got some tools around leaders' guides, inclusive leaders' guide to listening and reflect. So don't just act when you hear feedback from people, when you listen to them, reflect on it, figure out, you know, take meaning from it and then think about what you might do about it. As a big boss, make it a habit of doing skip level meetings or impromptu conversations in a safe way of saying, do you reckon your boss or we as an organisation have got it right? What could we be doing more of or what do you think we could be doing less of to make the organisation more visibly adhering to the values or the way we want to do the way we want to do life and work around here? Call Call out, call it out and call it in. So we want people in the moment to be allies to those who might be marginalised and brilliant jerks are bullies and they will they like most bullies they'll find who they perceive to be less powerful less influential weaker than them and for for marginalised or underrepresented people they are more often not in the the line of sights of the bully that the brilliant jerk so support those people if it's safe call out the brilliant jerk's behavior then and there in the moment if it's not safe and and you'll be able to work out if i feel safe to call out this person's behavior in public if it's not safe go to the person so mel if i was in a room and i saw you being bullied or subject to the behaviors the negative behaviors of the brilliant jerk and i thought i just this this guy's a boss or a boss's boss i can't i can't call him out in public but what i can do is say mel let's go and have a coffee are you okay that was really awful what just happened to you. Let's work out how we can support each other, but I really want to support you right now because we know that when you're bullied, sometimes we think, I think it's just me. He only picks on me because it's me. No, no. He picks, well, I shouldn't say he, they. They pick on on you because they can, they feel they can. So being, you know, it sounds a bit hokey, but if I feel seen by someone else, I feel like my bullying, the bullying, behavior has been seen by someone else and I've got someone else as an ally that can also be very useful. So there's some in the moment things. Those are great. So I want to share with our listeners that on the next episode, we're going to be talking about gaslighting at work. And so in the next episode, we're really going to get into when you're the victim, when you're on the receiving end of uh, some of the really bad behaviors of someone like a brilliant jerk or a bully at work. We're going to talk about what you can do about that and uh, steps you need to take to protect yourself and your emotional well-being. So I've got one last uh, bit to share here, but anything else, Michelle, that you want to get in here about brilliant jerks and the detriment they cause to workplaces? Well, 
I think the, the, the final piece is please, folks, don't underestimate the negative impact a brilliant jerk can have on your organisation. And let's face it, your organisation is people. So don't underestimate the impact, negative impact a brilliant jerk will have on all of the things that you're trying to do right in your organisation. You're trying to create a great workplace culture that works for all people. You're trying to delight, surprise and delight your customers. You, you know, you're really trying to achieve and sustain extraordinary outcomes. A brilliant jerk will undermine that, whether they're doing it knowingly or unknowingly, you've got to deal with it. So don't underestimate it and deal with it. Absolutely. And I'll just add to that, that the workplace leader is partially there to protect employees. And you can't assume that you know everything going on in your organization. You've got to have rapport and relationships with staff at all different levels to really get a clear understanding of what's actually happening. Because we've seen in so many workplaces where people don't feel safe to report this kind of behavior that we're talking about. So get to know your people, build those relationships, and be sure that you are especially watching out for people who are often marginalized. So we're talking about women, but that especially means Indigenous women, women of color, women with disabilities, etc. 100%. All right. Thanks, Michelle. We'll see you all next time. Thanks, Mel. This summer, A Career That Soars is pleased to offer a new, unique experience. Michelle Redfern, Amal Youssef, and myself, Mel Butcher, will be hosting Leadership Is, a live in-person workshop in Madison, Wisconsin, August 11 through 12, 2022. If you are a leader in an organization that's serious about supporting your female talent pipeline, learn more about sending a small cohort of women from your company to the event at leadtosoar.com slash sponsor. That's leadtosoar.com slash sponsor. And if you're a career woman ready to grow your ability to create the outcomes for your organization that matter most, we'd love for you to join us. Visit leadtosoar.com slash leadership is for attendee workshop details. That's leadtosoar.com slash leadership is. This has been another episode of Lead to Soar, a production of A Career That Soars. You can reach Michelle Redfern at michelleredfern.com and Mel Butcher at melbutcher.com. Join us inside A Career That Soars at acareerthatsoars.com. <laughs>